Hi! Welcome to Original Character Do Not Steal, the podcast where I let you tell me about your OC. I'm Scout Shiro, a cosplayer, writer, iPhone haver, I guess, because I just heard my iPhone noise go off. Um, today I have with me uh, my friend Colin. They are one of my game masters for a an RPG that they designed themselves called Miyoji. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. Hi, Colin. Hi, uh, I'm Colin. Yeah. I I know Colin because, so so last week we talked about Viv, um, Fallon's PC from their game, um, the hashtag crew campaign. And Colin was the DM for that campaign. We're going to talk about an NPC from that campaign this time. Uh, it, it's a little bit different because this character kind of took on a life of his own. Colin, can you get, can you give me an elevator pitch on Grund? Okay, um, so Grund is a sweet, perfect boy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great! <laughs> love to do it! Yeah, so I DM'd uh, Princes of the Apocalypse uh, for... Uh, Fallon and I, I assume Roy's going to be on this podcast at some point. Um, so I, I did for, for Fallon's, uh, it was actually Fallon and Roy's first game. I was a little burnt out on jamming. Um, and I wanted to take a break. Uh, I, I had already been taking a break and I wanted to continue taking a break. Um, and your fiance was in the game, right? Two and two of your friends. Yes, and two of our friends. Um, and kind of we, you know, we're fucking. Can I curse on this? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's always a good thing to ask. Uh, and yeah, um, we we wanted uh, we wanted to play a game. Roy and Fallon wanted to play in a game for our uh, their first time, and uh, our friend Noel um, and uh, their brother weren't stepping up to run the game. And so it just kind of, it was one of those situations where, okay, well, I guess I'm going to run the game. Uh, and uh, because I was burnt out and I was especially really burnt out on, on making my own material. Uh, and we had this adventure path that we had lying around that we never finished. We had never even got more than, I want to say like four or five sessions into it either. Um I was just like, hey, I'll run that. I'll run that. Uh, And it was an excuse for me to, like, work on my improv skills more and become a little bit more detached to, um, you know, ownership over the game. And I just try and work on a lot of different skills. Um, And and I just kind of, like, I I went in expecting to be, like, really kind of, like, hands-off and mostly trying to, like, work on uh, my ability to perform and respond to the players. Uh, and what happened was a beautiful, perfect pickle boy was born. So uh, I didn't go into this making any original characters, and I had no intention of it either. I I wanted to take the characters that already existed in there, and they're uh, they're kind of like little bits and pieces, and just kind of like perform them. So so when you play like a a pre made adventure. I've kind of seen this before, like they give you like a little rectangle about the character, right? Unless it's like a super important character, they pretty much just get a rectangle with information. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, and, and it can be like other stuff, like uh, specifically in this, in Princes of the, of the Apocalypse, there's kind of like four main bosses. 
um, that run these four cults in this valley that you're trying to investigate. You know, they have a lot of backstory and a lot of kind of like motivations that, that you're informed about to help like play as them. Um, and then basically they're, they've, they've all got a couple of lieutenants that have a decent amount of stuff, uh, about them. Uh, the more the smaller and smaller NPCs get the less and less information down to you might get a name uh and some parentheses next to it with their race and class um and maybe half a sentence explaining who they are and from then on out like basically you know it's just trying to pick up on um little bits of of you know clearly like the the people who wrote this adventure had pretty clear ideas of who each one of these people are from like the tiniest little npcs to the biggest one and it's just trying to pick up on you know, the little bits and pieces kind of sprinkled in the paragraphs around the characters and uh, any any mentions they, they might have between others and like picking up on what are interesting links are and, you know, trying to figure out what their ties to the cults and like the different like ideologies and stuff are. Uh, so Grund is uh, technically has a little bit more because he's an NPC in the starting town. And uh, so technically, uh, Prince of the Apocalypse starts as a third level adventure, um, but it has a, it has two little kind of, well, it has like um, a bunch of like little mini adventures and one like little adventure to run to get uh, some level one characters up to level three to start the game. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's like, uh, there's a little like level one sequence that has like a couple of different stu- things that you can do that are that I ran this group through because you know uh, it had been a hot minute since we'd play played fifth edition. Um, I had never run fifth edition before. It was uh, Fallon and Roy's first time playing a role playing game. So even though I think that fifth edition is boring at level one, uh, we, we started at level one and we we went through it so we could like properly teach everything. Uh, so mm-hmm. we did that um, and. Grund shows up as an actual NPC in the um uh in the the level two quest that goes on the level two like little story mission or whatever. Uh, so otherwise, Grund is listed has a little like key NPC paragraph that's a part of Red Larch, which is the the starting main town that you kind of operate out of, uh, as just a a a, a person who lives in the town who's basically a unimportant throwaway NPC in a part of town that has nothing going on in it as kind of a, a need of the plot. So it's very unlikely that the players would come here. And if they did come here, they'd probably see Grunt and what was going on in, in this area and then immediately just walk away. And what was going on in that area? So uh, I'm going to read off Grunt, the, the little... Um, well, a bit of the section that yeah. introduces Grunt. And I think it's going to become very apparent why I toss this out with the bathwater very quickly. So uh, uh, he appears in the market, uh, which is section 21 of Red Larch. Uh, this muddy, well-used field is ringed with outhouses and rings of stones that have ostensibly been used as cook fires or trash burn sites many times in the past. Uh, once a 10-day, it's crowded with wagons from nearby farms. Farmers drive in from homesteads miles away to sell a manner of in-season produce, cheese, cider, cider vinegar, and last year's pickled beets and jugs. This isn't included in this text, but also uh, kind of the... The start of the campaign sees like really bad weather happening and people's harvests aren't coming in. So like the town's actually a little deserted right now. So there wouldn't be anyone here when when the party shows up. Um, But 
uh, on the other nine days of the 10 day, uh, 10 day being the weird forgotten realms week, uh, because everything in fantasy has to be different. So on the other nine days of the 10 day, only one red larcher is here, a half orc named Grund. Uh, Grund, open parentheses, male half orc, thug, thug and bold, uh, because that is his, his, statistic block is the the thug minion or whatever close parentheses is the village simpleton he ekes out a living by making pickles and vats at the end of the field and then key npc this is the the grund bit grund is a happy dim-witted sort the other vendors all pilfer from his own open pickling vats and he cheerfully lets him He's easy comic relief when encountered here, but the adventurers meet him in one and uh, more unpleasant circumstances in area T3 of the Tomb of Moving Stone, C chapter six. Spoilers for Princess of the Apocalypse. By yeah, the way. but I mean, this is yeah. You might you might not even you might even like look. Oh, this is this is a, an adventure meant for level three to twelve characters. Let's start at three. Oh, it's got an adventures if we're what level one or two. Eh, let's not do that. Let's just start at level three. Whatever. Yeah. Because uh, they they you know they don't. They add a little bit, like they like there was definitely one big kind of like thing that kind of became a through plot point, uh, and like a really good character moment that came out of it for us. But other than that, it was kind of like a baby's first D and D, and like getting everybody's feet wet and everything. Well, I guess also Grunt came out of that, so that's also good. But yeah, um, I I don't think it's um difficult to say that the this this interpretation of Grunt is uh really fucking ableist, and I don't like it. Um, I just don't understand how in the year. Uh, well, I guess this was written in I want to say like 2015. But still, I don't I don't understand yeah. how in the year of our Lord after uh, any time you could basically just like put a, a fucking joke about uh, disabled people in a tabletop game. It just seems bad and not good. And I don't like it. Um, so what basically the, the core parts of Grund is Grund makes pickles. Grund gets taken advantage of a lot. Uh, and Grund uh, is kind of like the muscle for a shadowy cabal of elders in the village um, that worship a bunch of floating stones in a tomb buried deep beneath the village and are in turn being taken advantage of by an evil earth cultist. That's the thing. So I basically, I read this, I, you know, I was reading through uh, the opening adventures and I was like, Oh, this, this grunt person is supposed to be important. Where's where, where I find more out about grunt. And I find his little description in the little red larch guide. And I was like, wow, that's garbage. And I just threw it out. Yeah. Except for the pickle part. Yeah. Like, like I said, important, the important, the, the three important keystones of Grund. Um, Grund makes pickles. Grund gets taken advantage of. And um, I forgot the other one. Uh, he's really nice and good. Yeah. And he's, and he's a beautiful, perfect boy. Um, so... I was feeling ways about stuff uh, um, and kind of uh, definitely kind of like saw. So like when I was trying to, I, I was trying to like figure out who Grund would be like, I kind of felt this natural pull to kind of like how I felt immediately got, getting out of college and like trying to find work in my field and like all that kind of stuff. And like, I, I think um, at that point, um, I'd either recently become an assistant manager at work or I'd, I'd only been like an assistant manager for like a year or so. Um, and I was still like trying to, um, I started working at, at a brewery around then too. 
and just kind of like uh, my life was the grind. Uh, and so that's that's kind of what I went for with Grund. Uh, that's that's what Grund was about. Grund lived. Uh, Grund was an orphan, uh, a half orc orphan who was taken in by the village elders um, and kind of, you know, uh, uh, was kind of like the only kind of big muscled kid that they really had to, you know, do whatever tasks they need needed doing. Um but and and he went along with it because they're important people and he's here to network and he's he's on that grind. He's trying to get this pickle business off the ground. He's he's trying and to he's trying to make it. some kombucha, you know, all different guys. Yeah. Hashtag stay yeah. hungry. I mean if if he you know, uh oh man, uh I guess we'll we'll get into the accomplishments of Grund as this goes on. Um Yeah, yeah we'll get there. Don't worry about it. Uh, I have ideas. But um <laughs> yeah, I mean basically I kind of I pulled a lot of my personality late in college along with um uh just some bits and pieces with a bunch of like really close friends i had um that i mean i've been friends with since like middle school but like specifically a lot of vocal tics that we all had from like towards the end of college or like um uh you know in in our kind of like post graduate professional lives and just like really trying to like like feel that and like, you know, go back to how like my really bad anxiety periods and try and, you know, work some of that out. And that's basically, yeah. A uh, grunt is a big old ball of stress. <laughs> so I actually forgot to ask Fallon this last week. I probably should have. What's your character voice for grunt? Um, oh man. Uh, it's been so long since I had to play grunt. Um, grunt, grunt. I mean, I don't, I don't do anything different with the tone of my voice. Like I don't do a different accent or something. Um, but I mean, usually I don't, but like I, you know, I'll pitch up or down for characters or I'll like, I'll, I'll affect certain things, but really like Grund is Grund is very much my voice, uh, with some added vocal tics from people I know. And also just a little bit more, um, awareness uh you know like i'll i'll um like like when grun like when when like something comes up that like grun knows a lot about like i'll i'll like lean more into like my kind of a little bit like mansplaining voice that i can get sometimes when i'm really trying to explain something like you know if he's really talking about pickles and like he's not trying to be like patronizing and but he's just like he's excited to talk about pickles so he's talking about pickles and maybe his voice speeds up a little bit and he gets like a little anxious but he's just like so excited to like tell you how the pickling process works because you know you have to like you you boil it in sugar and a little bit and you expose it to some exetobacteria and so it's able to eat the sugar but it's an anaerobic environment so it's like uh, producing some like vinegars and acids and that's transforming the cucumber into a pickle and all these other things. And it's like keeping other spoilage bacteria out of it. And you know, that, that, that like, it just kind of like happens. <laughs> did you have to do research for this or do you know how to make pickles um, already? Oh man. Cause I know that you do. I know that you're, you're, you have a fermentation non-bind in real life. Um, but uh, I, did, were you the fermentation non-bind beforehand? Oh man, I had been in, I'd been really interested in like the homebrewing process. Like before this, I'd been making, I'd been making mead for a while before this as well. Um, uh, I'd been, yeah, I'd been making mead for probably at least a year, if not more. Uh, I had recently started working at a beer brewery. Um, 
I knew some of the, like, I I didn't know necessarily, I knew, like, some of the basic chemical stuff about pickling from back in, like, high school and, like, middle school and, like, watching the Magic School Bus. Um, But then also, like, there, you know, uh, and and knew some stuff. And, like, I knew what, like, kimchi was and kombucha and sauerkraut and a bunch of stuff like that. But then I also, you know, it's... It's not that I went out and researched more on these things uh, because of Grund. It's just kind of like, also, these are a lot of interests that I had. And either I... Yeah, so you got to lean real hard into your special interests. So, so yeah, either uh, I just already knew something about it or I was already learning about it. Or just because of the things that I surround myself, it's like, oh, hey, I learned more about sauerkraut today. I wonder if that'll come up in game. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why Quinn is obsessed with rocks <laughs> and it's because I know a lot of stuff about rocks. Okay. So you, so you made Grund into a more fleshed out character. That's more in line with kind of what you want yeah. to do with the game. Um, and, and the party, the party met him. Yeah. And because from what I understand, based on what you've said, Grund shows up only if you go to this part of town when nothing else is happening. And then he's a guard. Yeah? Yeah, so so basically Grund is supposed to be in this part of town. I want to say that they they never went there. They never were even remotely interested in there. Uh, but there's also, like, this kind of, like, uh, ratty, like, beach Motel 6 that's, like, the cheap place to stay in town, yeah. um, which is obviously where they decided to oh, stay. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, I and so I was like, all right, cool. They were completely on it. They haven't like the the few little trips they've taken and like the other stuff that they've they've uh, um, done in town. They've they've made it like not purposely, but like inadvertently made it clear they have no desire to go to this empty marketplace because I've already described how like there's really no trade coming yeah. in or out of town right now. Um, so they know there are things there, so they're not going to go there, and they're not going to meet Grund. So what do I do? Uh, I tell them that uh, their room is kind of like uh, basically one giant room that's been partitioned into th- four smaller rooms, mm-hmm. and they're renting three of them. So um, nosy motherfuckers that they are. Uh, uh, um, I, and I want to say... Uh, well, I've, I forgot how they were specifically split up, but I want to say... Um, uh, Roy's character Selwyn, yeah, Viv and Selwyn, uh, Selwyn Moondown, who I know I know Roy isn't going to come on to talk about first, but God, I can't wait for that to happen eventually. Hold on, hold <laughs> on, hold on. See, there's a reason <laughs> that I asked Roy to talk about the silver pools before Selwyn Moondown, and it's because if there's one thing you gotta know about Scout Shiro, is that Scout Shiro loves Selwyn Moondown. <laughs> So before, like, I, that's why I didn't get you to come on to talk about, like, any of the Face Rose guys yeah. just yet. Because I'm super attached to them. So I wanted to, I want to talk about a character that I know a little less okay, about. Okay, yeah. You got you to get that, that yeah. good Vesper and Finian uh, background uh, before you, yeah. you start throwing in the Altons and the Gibson Silver Branches or whatever. Um, exactly. But yeah. exactly. But yeah. Anyways, um, so I want to say that Selwyn and then my fiance's character, John Cloud Van Dam, uh, went to go investigate the other room. 
Um, and I just, I just threw like, uh, there were like, it was kind of messy and it had, it smelled a little, a little bit. And there was like some old laundry on the floor, but there was a bunch of like different jars and vats with things like pickled and fermented in them and a bunch of like kind of, and I told them like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of like books and scrolls and papers. And they're like, oh, they like excitedly like, oh, let's look through these. And like, they're all just like manuals about how to like ferment stuff or like food pairings and that kind of thing. Um, and so they were, I, I think there was something that I threw in there that was a little suspect, but largely they, I, I might've thrown in like a cult symbol there just to kind of like start priming for that. But mostly I was like, I was giving them the grunt primer. Uh, and so like, they were like, all right, cool, whatever, weird room. And then they go off. And then this, uh, the second adventure that gets them from level two to three basically starts when a sinkhole opens up in the middle of town and a kid falls into it. And they go to investigate and like help control the crowd, uh, find out that they're like the sinkholes opened up some ruins underneath. And so they, they rescue the kid and heal him up and like whatever. And, and, and he's fine. But uh, one of the town elders makes a big stink about it, like trying to get everyone away from the hole and leave the hole. And, and oh, you, you don't even, you know, don't even worry that kid like da, 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 da. Uh, and eventually um, they end up going down into the hole while they, they kind of have the sheriff holding this elder because this is very suspicious. They find uh, a route that leads out of the uh, out of this ruin to um, like the local quarry that one of the elders like lives and works at. And then they continue on into the, the ruin itself. And there's like a um, uh, there's like a branching path that this little dungeon takes and they went on a branch of the path where they fought some rats and then they come into this room. The The path they didn't take, uh, they would have gone down and if they wouldn't have said the password, Grund would have dropped a cage on top of them. Nice. And then tried to capture them. But they come in through the side door. So they see that there is... Uh, there's this big kind of wooden pole in this room and there's a kind of a delirious kind of like young teenage child something that's kind of like chained up to the pole. And then there's Grund sitting on the other side of the pole with a bunch of chains on it. They're going up to the, the cage apparatus and uh, just kind of like looking through this little like peephole down this tunnel and sees, uh, you know, these people come in and it's just kind of like, well, you're coming down. You're not coming down the tunnel that I dropped the cages down. So I'm just like, really, can you get out of my hair? I'm really nervous right now. I'm trying to do a job. Uh, and the, it turns out like the, the other kid was down here because he was being punished by the elders for doing something. I forgot what. It's dumb. Um, but it's basically just to paint the elders in a bad light. Um, and they're just kind of like, you know, they kind of like gave, gave Grun the strong arm for a little bit, but it became very apparent that he's just kind of like, he's here because he's, you know, just trying to do right by the elders. And, you know, he's like, he's scared and does like, honestly, doesn't want to be here. And they kind of like, let him go and whatever. Then they go off and they find an earth priest in, in the rest of the dungeon and they fight him and they kill him and, and whatever. I think this was around the time that just like Roy fell in love with Grund um, and made it very clear that she wanted Grund to be around more, uh, that, that this was an NPC that was important to her because she'd already had Selwyn make a pass at a bunch of other people in town. And so this was, you know, uh, a, a character that she was interested in. So like, I kind of took the hint and I was like, okay, uh, Grun's, Grun's gonna be, uh, a romance option, maybe. We'll see how it goes. Um, and some, yeah. some bugbear happenings went along, uh, at their first dungeon and some other That's things. That's how and, it'd be sometimes with Selwyn Moon down. Well, yeah, and I mean, this was, this was peak 
Adventure Zone too. Like uh, Roy had just gotten into the Adventure Zone, uh, and I mean, Clark is um, Clark's a good boy. We all love a Clark. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you know, bugbear fuckery is going to happen. Um, but uh, Grun didn't show up again until shit. Uh, I was trying to give them like side quests in between. Okay. So I guess other context for Prince of the Apocalypse, it's basically set up in three different kind of tiers uh, that, that kind of like have a little bit of a different tone and a, and a different kind of focus on um, magic level and dungeon crawling and that kind of stuff. And the kind of first bit of the book, like the first like big chapter is basically you have this Valley, there's this mysterious stuff going on and there are these four ancient forts. And they've been they've each been taken over by a cult, and uh, the players can be given certain hints uh, as as a part of character generation to be able to like figure out uh, how to like solve the mystery at each site to figure out what the cult's doing or whatever, and figuring out that, that cults are even here and that kind of stuff. And so, like you know, the there's four big adventures where you go to each one of these forts, and then there's some side quests that are that you can do in between them. So I was like, okay, I want to try and break up and do a side quest between each one of these things, just as like kind of a palate cleanser or whatever. Yeah, totally. And so one of them was they found out that Grunt had gotten the, in, in the, in the wake of, you know, finding out that the elders of, of Red Larch were in league with uh, Earth cultists and them getting arrested and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Grunt had got like, uh, I guess, the, like Selwyn and Grunt had had a talk and like the team just kind of tried to like encourage him like, hey, you should try and work for somebody better. So what happened was Grund went to a nearby town and ended up accidentally working for the mob. Nice. <laughs> he he took uh he took over as like like a bar back at this little like inn in like a like this trading town like run by Imagine if the mob and like Uber and Amazon had a baby, and that's basically how I play the Zinnerum group in D anD. d Like, right. um, if for for anyone who's familiar with kind of like the D anD. D Adventurers League, or if you've played one of these uh, Faerun based adventure paths, you run into um, you know these big player guilds. Like, you have the Gauntlet or the uh, the Harpers or um, the Lords Alliance or anything. The Zinnerum group is like the Thieves Guild one. It's like the the one that does like the the underground trade and they have spies and stuff. And so I just treated them as like the worst like corporate people in the world and uh, constantly described all of their guards as wearing matte black and uh, having obnoxious pistol grips on their swords and and just dumb stuff like that because uh, I'm also really into spy fiction, and that's the one time I really got to lean into it in this game. So like that's that's where I did it. So he ended up working for that and ended up being um because of their because of uh, river pirates being on the river, um and then trying to stop that. Uh, there wasn't any trade going to this river trading post where this this small town and this inn was. So the owner and proprietor of the inn who was also kind of the lead contact for the Zenerum group uh headed off on a business trip to go get some support to do some stuff and in the meantime um his kind of like second in command who was the lady captain of the guard for the town uh was going to try and take over 
But then also uh, uh, another higher up in the Zinnerum group hired an assassin to come to try and make the thing look like a whole mess so that they could just completely rearrange everything in town. When they got there, this whole plan starts going into, into play and it just looks like Grund is a patsy for everything because Grund got left in charge of the keys and the keys got stolen. Nice. So yeah, Grund's freaking out because like this is basically the first what he thinks is a well i mean it was a legit job but it's like the first like legit job he thinks he's had that he kind of got on his own like his big boy job yeah it's his first big boy job and he's freaking out and it turns out it's just this whole like like thing with like the mafia and one of the characters who's an Aladrin paladin ends up in like a smite fight in a hallway with the assassin while everybody else is like trying to like investigate what's going on and get any proof for anything. And it's, it's a whole mess. Um, but anyways, uh, Grund ends up making it out of there alive in the meantime. Uh, oh man. Um, yeah. So I think this is, this is around when I think, Roy personally decided that uh, she knew and wanted Grun to be the Selwyn uh, romance option because she would just have uh, Selwyn say on the road at any given point when nothing else is going on in role playing, just have someone say, I wonder what Grun's doing. This is a, a relatable yeah. <laughs> thing that, yeah, yeah, yeah. mood. Yeah, and there was some other stuff where, uh, and I'm sure in the Selwyn episode, uh, you'll hear all about Thoreau Moroska, but some fuckiness went down there. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But eventually, there was a point where they tried to take on uh, one of the, like, cult-like fortresses that they weren't really prepared for, and honestly just went about it in a really, really dumb bad way like basically they they went into a place and and they didn't know that these cultists could cast fireball but they basically they had made pretty short work of two of the the forts at this point and basically had uh had like investigated a third one and could go back to take care of it at any point so they were feeling high in the hog and they go to take care of this one Basically, they just kind of like stroll up and they like they at this point, they know that they're cultists and they're just trying to goad them into attacking them for some stupid reason. I don't know why it was it it ended up being bad. You know, they realized it was bad at the end when they uh, two of the characters got killed. But they didn't permadie. Yeah, they they didn't permadie because they got them in time to a temple. And basically in exchange for promising to bring an artifact back for the the head priestess of the temple and also letting the priestess cast a geas on all of them uh, to keep them from basically it. It was a if you guys do a really dumb plan or if you try and start a fight with someone or put yourself in a situation where you are only doing it so someone starts a fight with you, then I get to hit you with a massive amount of psychic damage um, uh, to help try and get them to think smarter about things. Uh, but about this time, I think uh, they had made some contacts with the Harpers, another one of the big like player guilds that, that they have the option of joining, and they got uh, Grund a position with them. Yay! And so he started training a little bit with them, uh, and this is kind of when he became kind of a regular contact uh, for the group. Eventually, uh, you know, they're, um, oh man, I can't remember. He, he became like a pretty good contact for them uh, at some point uh, to kind of like kick off the second part 
uh, they had gone to kind of have like a celebratory dinner in Red Larch as thanks for what they did for the town. And uh, uh, somebody used that to try and poison them. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, Grund had become the sommelier for that restaurant uh, (laughs) and uh, kind of took that over. He became more of kind of like a big contact for them with the Harpers to kind of help let them know about a couple of um, bad things going on. Like eventually the Colts get these kind of like super weapons that they can kind of like like blow up areas with and like the first one they they heard about was i guess grund helped them get to a place in time to stop uh, a town from being destroyed by i can't remember if it was earthquakes or if it was going to be a tsunami it was the yeah, it was either the the earth or the the um the water cult yeah uh grund just kind of like grew like as a pretty close like confidant to the group uh eventually revealed him to be an artificer which is uh, so Artificer is a, uh, D&D class that's basically, like, being an alchemist. Okay. Um, yeah, I, basically, I, I gave him, like, minor magical abilities. He never, I think, I think he participated in, like, a fight once, and that was mostly, like, uh, I think all he really did was the paladin was completely unarmed and unarmored when a bunch of cultists brought one of these magical bombs to Red Larch, to try and take them out. Uh, and basically he made like a, uh, a shield out of a, like a trash can lid to, and tossed it to the, the paladin to keep the paladin from like getting killed or whatever. He and Selwyn like started like a serious relationship. And, and that's kind of like where he really like came into what he was as a character. Basically at that point, I wasn't trying to push a story with him because I was very aware that he had become like uh Selwyn's story is very complicated, but basically Selwyn needed emotional support from a variety of different places to have character growth. And I knew that um, uh, Roy couldn't do that herself since she's the one controlling Selwyn. So I had to give it to her with another character. So that's basically what um, Grun became. Grun became uh, a way for me to introduce plot details like organically via them getting tips from the Harpers and he became kind of like the emotional support characters to Selwyn. So if like Roy wanted to deal with some of Selwyn's stuff, then we would create a situation where Grund and Selwyn could sit down and have like an emotional conversation about it. And that happened a lot. It's good. Um, eventually uh, they did it. Also, when we kind of got like, so like the, the first level is kind of like the, the keeps on the surface the second level is kind of like this ancient dwarven city that the cults have gotten into and are operating out of. Uh, and then the third level is kind of like this deep nexus of dark power with these portals to the elemental planes. Yes. Uh, basically, when you get down there, um, you're supposed to fight one uh, one of the big bosses in the second level. Uh, that was actually Arisi, which is a whole other story. Um I don't know if you could ever get Duncan on here to talk about Archibald, but um, I would love to, honestly, I'm really an Archie. Yeah. I, I would love Duncan to talk about Archie. And after Duncan talks about Archie, I would love to come on and talk about Arisi. Um, even though definitely not my original character and I play her, I played her a lot to, um, what, how she's written in the book. Uh, but we also like, the nature of how things went down in the game uh, 
I also had to develop a lot of new stuff for her and fit her to Archibald's backstory pretty well. And that was just like a whole fun oh, experience. Oh, okay. I think I know who she is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, so she was the one that they took down first. And so that alerts all of the other princes and or all the other, other bosses and they go down into the, the deep caves or whatever. And then you, you meet one and you fight them and then you go and you fight another in their lair uh, right before they summon. It. And the last one that you fight, you fight, in their lair after they summon like the elemental prince or whatever. And so that's the big boss fight. When we got to this point, like the first chapter or two, like especially the first chapter, I was playing very, very rules is written dungeon crawly D and D. And I felt like that was good. And then when we got to the second chat, the, like the part two, where it's very much like, this is a strict dungeon crawl. These are four dungeons you have to go through. Like you're going back to the surface for supplies and that kind of stuff, but it's it's not like I wasn't going through travel time and stuff of them like traveling along roads and like meeting people and that kind of stuff. Because at that point, it's like I'm not going to slow this down. We've already been playing for like nine to ten months, so I started getting a little bit more loose with stuff. You know, I would try and you know nudge them in certain directions in the dungeon. Like I wasn't trying to explore the whole thing. I was trying to make sure that. You know, the dungeons were as long as they needed to be, but still they were, you know, if they could basically, you know, get through them without really having to leave them at all. And then when we got to the the third part, I was really ready for this game to end. Not not in a I was tired of running it, but I was just like chomping at the bit to get to the resolution. And I felt like more dungeon crawls and more combat encounters and more exploration wasn't going to do anything to help that. I feel like we were all ready for the story to continue. So I let the story continue and I got very fast and loose with things at that point. You're just like doing whatever you want to make the story serve itself. Yeah. And so uh, like a big thing was um, I flat out out of character. I asked them, who do you like, what do you guys think is going to be the most emotionally effective way for this to go down. Who do you think is going to be a fun uh, of, of the three remaining bosses? Who do you think is going to be fun to try and tempt you guys to give up? And then you can have a big boss fight. Who is going to be uh, a fun guy to fight alone? And who do you want to be the final boss that has the big elemental backup? And who do you think really fits for who's going to be like the, the end villain of this campaign? And we decided on Vanifer, who is the right. fire cult leader. And the big problem with that is that uh, the fire cult like portal is inside of a big lava room. And that fight's also really hard. And there's all this stuff involving like exhaustion and uh, weather rolls and all that kind of stuff. And there's definitely ways that you can get around that with stuff like energy absorption spells and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to make them expend a bunch of, of stuff just to do that. At that point, I'd also, I had introduced another love interest character, which ironically, that romance never happened. For Salwin or? Well, no, for, um, for Shafarn, Noel's character. And ironically, that popped up because uh, when I was introducing the character, I said they were non-binary and mm-hmm. Noel thought I said they were asexual. So he they immediately just like, okay, cool. Uh, cool friend character. Uh, when it was literally just like, here is date bait specifically for your dragon porn. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, so uh, between uh, that, I introduced that character also to be a big info dump for 
elemental planes stuff and like and magic exposition and all that kind of crap uh basically gave them enough opportunity to really do some like investigation and like theory crafting and pl- and like kind of like cyberpunk shadow run style like mission planning um that they they did enough homework that um they had enough information to give it to grund for grund to make them like a potion that would give them resistance to like environmental heat uh i i think we just described it as the coldest mint drink you've ever had in your life right it was like a, a mint mojito that yeah. turns salmon blue yeah you know um like you do that was kind of like the big last thing that he was able to uh do for the crew as kind of like the accoutrement uh but also you know uh he was really like he was a very key part of of Selwyn's kind of uh realization of character by the end of it he was like a thing that i was very thankful at the end of it was i basically i started this npc as this kind of like almost like a tongue tongue in cheek joke about my own anxiety like coming out of college because like i i have a bachelor's in fine arts and like an idiot, I didn't really intern or anything while I was in school. And uh, when I got out of school, I, um, you know, I, I, I had a real, like, I went to go to apply to grad school uh, my senior year and had a complete anxiety attack over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just didn't. I, I, I decided that I wasn't ready for it. Um, that just like, I, I wasn't ready. I didn't, I don't even think I understood that I had an anxiety problem. I thought I just wasn't emotionally ready or mature enough to, to continue with my academic career at that point. And I, and like, I needed, like, I, I knew like I had like my senior show coming up and all this stuff. And I felt like I needed to do that. And I needed to, uh, you know, maybe try and show it a couple other galleries. I needed to like really sit down and like think about what my body of work was going to be that I was going to try and take to grad school. Like I just needed, I needed a little more time. Um, so I ended up, you know, I, I graduated, I moved back in with, with my parents temporarily for a year, like did some work, but really didn't do any more work. And I, uh, I came up with a couple of really good plans for, you know, proposals for, okay, you know, because when, when you apply for a Master of Fine Arts, um, you basically give them a proposal of, hey, here's what my body of work was through college. These are the the themes that I really liked about this. This is a proposal for the body of work I'd like to do for my tenure as a grad student. And this is what it's going to, this is what it's going to amount to. And this is what I'd like to do. This is why uh, this is this is how I think this is a good culmination of my growth. This is why I think that your program is a good fit for me to do this work here, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I applied to three or four schools. I didn't get into any of them. Uh, I applied to work at a bunch of different galleries, and I didn't get interviews. And I tried to volunteer at a couple of art centers and couldn't even get uh, a call back to volunteer. Uh, and I worked some really bad jobs that. Uh, really, really exacerbated uh, my mental health issues. And it was a bad time. And then I'm like, I, I had a close friend who was like, hey, um, you know, it's it's food service, but we have uh, we have openings at my work here. So I moved I moved to Virginia Beach where I live now. 
So, yeah. And I, you know, and then I, I moved down here and I, I get this, this job working food service and it's enough for me to, you know, uh, me and the friend I moved down with to like put a roof over our head and whatever. Um, and at that point, like, you know, six months prior, I basically at like my last like run at this job working at a, a distribution center for a big clothing company, um, which is pr- uh, the worst job I've ever worked in my life. Uh, like, you know, had this breakdown and like finally like was able to talk to my parents in a way that they could understand about what I was going to and how I felt about work and like how like useless I felt, but also like how I felt like I was putting in all this effort to like try and find like real like substantive jobs and they weren't coming anywhere. So my parents, like my, my dad had gone through, um, a big change in career not too long ago. And like, and as a part of that had met a a career coach who also worked in change management. And so he set me up with her and we had a couple of meetings and she gave me some coaching and helped me like, you know, get some ideas like, okay, you know, obviously you shouldn't be looking where you are, you know, where can you look research like places there, et cetera, et cetera. So this seemed like a good match because I could live in Virginia beach and I could, uh, try and apply to work at uh, galleries and museums in, in the Hampton Roads area. And then I could also try and apply at stuff in Richmond. So here's the thing. I moved down here. My senior show was a dual senior show with me and another student. And we were the first two students to have a student show or at the art center at the Selden Arcade in Norfolk, which was basically the Norfolk Community Arts Center. And we were the first people to have it, have our senior student shows there. And they'd been around for forever. It was a big deal. Um, and I moved back down here and the Selden Arcade burnt down. Holy <laughs> moly. Yeah. So there there went my one really, really good in for a job. I still have not gotten a job in art. I've risen, like, I've gone from being just, like, a person who made sandwiches to now I'm an assistant manager at the store. And I'm, like, I handle all of the wine and some of the beer for the store and i'm considered an important like knowledgeable person about alcohol and fermented stuff in the company and like all this other stuff but in the meantime like i've been trying to get like a million other jobs and like do all this other stuff and just kind of like as that campaign wrapped up grund was in this in this place where he felt like he belonged and he was doing work that he not only liked enjoyed but also had found like all this other work that he could do that was like really formatively impactful on the world in a really good way in a way that visibly made the world better it wasn't until the campaign ended that i realized how kind of therapeutic that was that this whole time that i was doing like all of this job hunting and like really feeling like i might have been like appreciated at work but i could be doing better work or i could do i could be somewhere else or whatever like it was just kind of nice to have that going on in in your fake fantasy world yeah so at least like if you weren't always experiencing it at work you could jump into this other person's skin and be like this kind of experience still exists in the world and it too can exist for me colin well, I guess, oh man, the fucked up thing is like, I never had that feeling while playing Grunt. Because I mean, like when I was GMing that game, it was so much about like, how can I make this the best experience for the players? And how can I get the story out of my players that I feel like entertained as almost an audience as opposed to like the person running the game. Absolutely. Like I wanted to be really hands off. And because of that, when I ran characters, like my mindset became not 
okay, what is this character? How, how does this character feel right now? But how can I mirror this character against players and stuff? So like when I really felt at home with Grund, it was like out of session stuff of like our Discord chat of like Roy asking me Grund questions. Yeah. Or, or seeing seeing drawings of Grund on the 2017 feed or whatever. And it, it really wasn't until the campaign wrapped up and uh, we talked about the Selwyn Grund epilogue where, you know, eventually they semi-retire, you know, and become just kind of like a local intelligence contact when adventurers come through and like Grund operates a tavern where everything's like homemade and Selwyn teaches Sylvan classes and they have like a billion adopted kids or whatever. And they get married. Yeah, and they get married. It wasn't until like after like, you know, we had that discussion of like, oh, where do they end up? And we kind of like as a group reflected on everything that when we finally like left there and like I thought about Grund and I was like, oh, man, that's uh, man. I feel really fulfilled that I that that this NPC like feels 100 percent like a person that exists outside of me. And I got to kind of like help fulfill that. But yeah, like I kind of got to take this person that's in a a bad situation that I really identify with. And I got to like, not even like feel them get to that point, but just kind of like, I got to help and watch them get to that. I got a lot to say about that, but I can't talk about it yet. (laughs) I'm really saving it. I have to figure out how I want to interview myself about Quinn. (laughs) But needless to say, a uh, big fucking mood. Yeah, I, I feel like I feel bad because I feel like um, you you might get better individual grund moments out of Roy when you talk about Selwyn because I'm just I'm garbage for for individual stuff. But um, yeah, I, I love a I love a pickle hork. No, this is, yeah, this is this is top level. We actually didn't describe what grund looks like yet. What's his fashion? What's he look like? Grund is green and he's a peasant and he has a dad bod. In in my my personal imagining of how D and D games look, I always go to a very specific like late medieval, early Renaissance like transition period kind of thing. And I know that when it comes down to it, even though you're supposed to play D and D as a very mid medieval, high medieval kind of thing, all the art is like Renaissance, post Renaissance bullshit. Um, and that's that's a discussion for another podcast, maybe one with Sarah on it. You know, obviously, uh, there's also a lot of Roy, especially at this time, Roy let a lot of more modern stuff leak in. And I feel like that might have been like an Adventure Zone thing. Like the first game that Roy ran was a one shot where uh, we, it, it, as a plot point, we hung out at Fantasy Wawa. Like it's stuff good like to that. Do. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, it was, it was Roy and Fallon's first game. And I didn't want to do anything to like kind of like negate any creativity they had. So, like, yeah, you know, there's like, there's fantasy taquitos in, in yeah. hashtag Crewniverse. And, and there, uh, someone had a fantasy homestuck phase. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, fa- and someone had a fantasy homestuck phase. Uh, God, I, oh, oh, buddy. Uh, let me be clear. The someone fantasy homestuck phase is entirely my invention that I forced upon Roy. And I'm sure she'll yell and be mad at me about it whenever she talks about Selwyn. Um, to me, it's very good, though. I love to yeah. see it. Yeah. Um, so from that, Grund has a, I guess in, in the quote unquote official Grund art, he has a very kind of newsies look. Yeah, he looks exactly like he's ready to seize the day. Yeah. He's gonna, uh, he's gonna uh, storm into the Nederlander Theater and do a whole bunch of leaps. 
Yeah, he um like uh his clothing is like uh is all like, you know, rough like linen and wool, a lot of browns and whites and tans and that kind of stuff. I want to say that mostly the newsy look came out of us determining that Grund has strong ska vibes. Okay. Uh, that he's he's probably very much a ska boy. Yeah. Um, uh, we sh- I should we should probably include the 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 Grund playlist that I made as well. In okay, this. I'll I'll link it in the description. Yeah, I'll give you a link to that at some point. Okay. And the Grund playlist came about I want to say like two thirds of the way into the campaign. It's so important to make playlists for your OCs. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> it's good to do, and like coming from being a person who doesn't listen to music. Uh, because I pretty much just listen to uh, original Broadway cast recordings and um, and and My Chemical Romance and Frank Sinatra. Like I still love to do it. It's good to do and it's very helpful. And that's my TED talk on fan soundtracks. There's one song on the Grund playlist. I want to make it clear is not a song I like or by an artist I like or that I will ever listen to. But that's how important it is to understanding who Grund is to to really get that song. What is it? So you'll have to. I'm pretty sure you'll be able to figure it out. Um, and then the rest of the songs uh, may not be my favorite songs from those artists, but are just very very Grund esque songs. But yeah, I guess. Uh, between the intersection of Scopical Hork and Renaissance Peasant, the natural like Venn diagram point between those two is a 1920s newsy with a Gatsby cap and suspenders and all that kind of stuff. And like a little white button down shirt. Yeah. Um, I, I will say when the whole big dick energy thing was going around and specifically the picture of uh, Ariana Grande and her boyfriend. Oh, I love this art. Yeah, I the the minute I saw it, I was like, "Raw, you have to draw that as Grund and Selwyn," and it's literally perfect. It's one of my favorite things to look at personally. Yeah, I I feel like that gets the big Grund energy across. Uh, that photo. Yeah. What Grund questions do you have? God, I actually I I think we kind of covered what he wants already because I usually ask people about like what does the character want in life, like what are they seeking. But I think we kind of covered that. We do have some listener questions this week. And oh, God. Okay. So I'm going to get into them <laughs> right now, if that's cool with you. I can't wait to hear who actually answered this tweet. <laughs> so first was friend of the show, Kat. And I think this is kind of interesting because I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll have an answer for it. What is the most disgusting food combo that Grund likes to eat? Oh, oh, man. Okay, the cop-out answer is Swampfoot. What's that? So Swampfoot is a... When I first moved down here and I started playing uh, role-playing games with an existing group down here that some mutual friends like introduced me to, one of the best things about this group is they had one hard rule. It's that at some point, everyone has to GM. And it doesn't matter what game it is. It doesn't matter if you do a one-shot or if it's a campaign or whatever. You should work to find a game that you are capable and and will enjoy running. And you should run it for the group because you don't want people to get burnt out on running and then no one gets to play a game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, so, you know, I had run a couple of games before. They kind of introduced me to the group with a big one shot with like, I think like eight total people where like everybody paired off into teams and kind of competed against each other. So like I got to know like like a new person like pretty well and like da 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 da. And then from there we started playing Rogue Trader because that's what they had been playing. Um, and we played that for a while. I had mentioned that I really like fourth edition D&D and I hadn't gotten to play that in a while. And they were like, yeah, we haven't gotten to play it a while either. And so me and Noel agreed that we were going to like not co-GM a game, but like we were going to co-author and co-run a setting. Yeah. And then we would trade off GMing it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So like Noel GM to run and then I GM to run. And then we took a break to play more Rope Trader. And we did that with two GMs. And then we went back to D&D and, and I think I ran for maybe a little too long i i we just we ran with me for a while and then and then Noel ran for a little bit and and back and forth swamp foot was uh they had gone to a swamp they were in a swamp city inhabited by lizard folk and they went to a bar and they asked what lizard folk had on tap and it was swamp foot which is this disgusting earthy barnyardy horse blankety sour drink very alcoholic that is, again, me trying to put in my nasty, nasty tastes for weird alcohol into games. Uh, but it became, I don't know, it, like, it was a really fun moment and everyone liked it. And so from then on, anytime we're playing a fantasy game and we go to a bar. Swampfoot's there. Yeah, we have to find out if Swampfoot's there or not. And so in hashtag crew, Grund invented Swampfoot. Swampfoot was a weird kombucha made from cocoa nibs and like some crazy fruit juice and like a bunch of other stuff. And so that's probably the most disgusting thing that that Grund was ever involved with. But as for like actual real world food things, I'm going to say the most disgusting thing that Grund likes to eat is just a garbage hot dog. Uh, like not even, not even like a, like knockwurst or bratwurst or anything, like literally just a shitty hot dog in a bun, but with some really stinky cheese and like a pickled spinach and maybe like, I don't know, like pineapple. Oh boy. So, uh, last week with Fallon, I answered a similar question to this about Quinn. So we already know that Quinn loves to drink the juice from the cans of fruit salad. He loves to drink the syrup. Oh, that's disgusting. Uh, Yeah, he's fucking nasty. I'm going to take it one step (laughs) even farther. When you open up the the can of green beans or the can of corn, the can of peas, Quinn can't cook. I should also mention that. The brine that the corn is in or the brine that the, the... green beans are in quinn likes to drink that too he's fucking nasty (laughs) i love him official roy of the show wants to know why is grund my son uh grund is roy's son because grund has a very bad anxiety problem and so then roy has to care for him big same sarah of the show as sarah mcclintock sarah mccostumes wants to know how you, Colin, make extremely romanceable NPCs. Because in our Saturday Miyoji game, Colin has made three NPCs that have been possible romance choices for our characters. Okay, so here's the thing. You say that, and technically, even with what I'm about to talk about, I do have a very good track record for dangling romance NPCs in front of people, mostly because of Roy. 
and Fallon and Duncan and uh, so everyone. Yeah, but I do want to point out that while who Sarah's romance NPC was a uh, fucking eight ball in the corner pocket. I don't know what that means. A fucking slam dunk, home run, a good effort for my time. I made the thing, and the thing did what I wanted it to yeah. do. Yeah. With Yui, uh, I this had is my character. With your your character Yui, I made two romance options. Yeah. Uh, because you told me you really wanted to get married, and so I wanted to make it difficult. Why did I make it difficult? Yeah, well, because so here's the thing. I designed two characters. I designed one character that would give you a good kind of payoff for, like, rising in status and getting more money and getting more power and that kind of stuff, but ultimately with a character that I thought would be completely and utterly uninteresting and boring. Whoops. And I made another character who was really sweet and compassionate and nice, who I thought that you would be drawn to, but uh, would the would have an ultimately like complicated romance because neither of your characters would want to give up their family names. You both wanted to uh, continue to lead your families. Here's the problem. You all thought that the second one was so uninteresting that none of you even bothered to ever speak to that person. And meanwhile, the minute that I put the big rolling boring boy in front of you, you immediately fell in love with him. Yeah. And I don't think he's boring at all. I think he's very sweet and kind. Well, when it became very apparent that you all were not interested in talking to the other one, you were only interested in talking to this boy, I had to change gears and make him more interesting and uh, switch the difficulty of what the plot was going to be because it went from being a two-romance plot to a one-romance plot. I guess when it comes down to it, the Colonat Pagetus secret to having good romances in games is to... Just put a lot of characters out there and role play them earnestly. And if you notice that the player likes the character, or if you notice that that there is a, a hook, uh, like an immediately like bit of hook of chemistry, like it's it's fun when these two characters interact, to keep having that character show up and uh, maybe be open to the idea that they will be romantically attracted to the other person and maybe follow through with that if that seems like it's going to be a fun plot to go to follow. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, in, like when I was running crew, and this is a thing that I've never said to anyone, I think other than, like, one or two characters, no character in that game had a canon sexuality until it became important as to whether or not a player character wanted to fuck them or not. Yeah. And then it became they have a sexuality that will make it possible. And, and you know, there, there were a lot of situations where uh, Vivian hit on people. And immediately those people became lesbians or bi women. But whether or not they, were, they actually wanted to be involved with Fallon's character became where the role play happened. Same with Selwyn. There were a lot of dudes in there that I never considered whether or not they were gay or straight or bi. But the minute that Selwyn enters a room, well, they have to at least be open to play ball. <laughs> Holy guacamole! That's that's Selwyn Moon down. Yeah. So so yeah, you know when when the original fuck warlock. Yeah, if you're a GM, pay attention to the characters that your players respond well to, 
and then maybe throw it out there that uh, maybe they could be a romance option. Yeah. Uh, or if you have a character or you have a player whose character has a such a high gaming skill that they can't fail, uh, maybe maybe throw gay Seto Kaiba. <laughs> Quite literally, that's literally what happened. Is the thing. <laughs> Also, that's 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 also an important thing. Where I I asked uh, you, Sarah and Will, what do you what do you want in in regarding you know character interactions? And uh, you said that you wanted Yui to get married. Yeah. Um, Will said that he wanted Tetsuko to smash things. Uh, Sarah said that she wanted uh, Sakura to have a rival in love and gaming. And so I did those things for you. Yeah, you absolutely did. Because if there's one thing Scout wants in a game, it's a romance option. You know how it be. Those are those are the questions for this week. I I love to experience a grunt grunt moon down. I I kind of feel bad because I feel like I didn't talk enough specifically about grunt, but whatever. I think it's good though. Yeah, and and I'll get you back on, and we'll talk about Gibbo. I do love a Gib. So where can we find you on the internet, Colin? Um, you can find me at at Pagetish on most social medias. That is P-A-D-G-E-T-T-I-S-H. Uh, I use Twitter a lot. I'm on Tumblr, but that's, I don't really, I don't interact on there. Um, that's yeah, they are my, one of the most Twitteriest people I know. Yeah, and and honestly, like, this is nothing compared to me with Twitter in college. Um, uh, so they, you're you're seeing reserved Paget Twitter. Yeah, uh Come follow me. Uh, I used to do, I don't have any current projects right now. I am uh, working on a game and playtesting a game that we've talked about, Miyoji. It probably won't be called Miyoji when I actually release it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's a thing that you can follow me for that I'll occasionally post, like, notes about or, like, put up beta versions or whatever. Yeah, we tweet about it on Saturdays. We tweet about it all the time. Um, I... Yeah, I've I've been I've been been reading a lot of Naruto recently, like in the past like week, but I have been reading through all of Naruto again. Um I do I don't do as much homebrewing as I used to, but I have started up again and will occasionally post about that. I do that I do a lot of like if you follow me on Instagram, that's mostly uh, uh, beers that I find or good food that I make or find or homebrewing stuff or just pictures of my hair or, you know, whatever. Uh, I used to have a podcast called Creature Culture. Some of the episodes are really good. Some of the episodes are really bad. Uh, there are a lot of good episodes, though. Um, I like it. Noel, Noel's the unsung host of that show. Uh, Noel really holds that show together. I made it, I edited and made it sound good. <laughs> so you can, you can follow me at, at Alderani on Twitter, A-L-D-E-R-A-A-N-I. Um, I just went to an anime convention, so I'm a little under the weather right now, which is probably came across through this episode. I have con plague and water park plague. Um, but I talk about my cosplay and I talk about Disney parks and, and anime and and quinn my oc a lot i do this show i also do another show with my friend amanda called unlimited blade jerks which is a fate rewatch podcast and we're working through fate zero right now you can find that at at ubj cast on twitter and you can find original character do not steal at 
at OCDNScast on Twitter. Uh, you can ask us questions, send in pictures of your OCs or retweet them. Uh, yeah, just like do it up. And Colin? Yeah. You're valid as hell. I, I try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. This, this has been, been a Mesa, Mesa Verde, Verde Media, Media production. So I just need you to say these words. Peas are stored in the brine? Yeah, peas are stored in the brine. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>